Tatiana, want to go to the mall? Yeah, heck yeah, let's go window shopping. Why are you doing air quotes? Because we're gonna shop from the window, by which I mean steal things? Is it a question? I, I mean, I think I just realized that window shopping is not actually like a bad thing to do. <laughs> and I was trying to make it sound really nefarious. <laughs> by, by window shopping, I do mean that I am going to shoplift. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. Why are you not cool with that? Are you an uncool church kid who doesn't like to steal? Well, you know, partly I just never thought that's what window shopping meant. It, it isn't. I really, I really like messed up that whole phrase implication thing, but roll with it. Okay, I, I believe you that window shopping means stealing. Yeah, it does. In the context of this conversation only. Well, yeah, of course I'm not cool with that. My church friends aren't going to jive with going out to the mall and <laughs> window shopping. Yeah, well, then I guess we can't be friends anymore. <gasps> Just because I don't want to steal? Yeah, it's a deal breaker for me. My well, friends all have to be criminals. Well, I respect your boundaries. Wow, that's really mature of you. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> Hi everyone! <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Podventures and Odyssey. I'm Emily. And I'm Tatiana. Every week we re-listen to an episode of Adventures and Odyssey, then sit down to recap and discuss. We're going in album order, and today we are in album four, listening to episode ten. Bad Company. I was the bad company in our wonderful improvised sketch that preceded this introduction. <laughs> Do you feel like we did a good job? <laughs> I feel like we did an accurate job of portraying what bad company is like. Yeah. Wait, bad company like in general or bad company this episode? Uh, both? Yeah, cool. So I feel like uh, this, this is a little bit of a taste of what you're in for for this episode. So uh, do you want to just kick it off and recap it? Yes, let's kick off with the recap. They jump right in, after all. They do jump right in. No narrator shenanigans this time. Oh. Only character shenanigans. Because <laughs> we're going to learn about why it's important to choose good friends. Mm -hmm. It's a good moral. We're also going to learn, like, other stuff. I have a lot of thoughts about this episode. Yeah, I think I do, too. We'll see if they are the same thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Okay, so... Right off the bat, we are in the Barclay household, mm -hmm. and Donna is about to go to the mall to hang out with her good friend, Rachel Woodworth. Mary does not have a good feeling about this girl, though. Yeah, and they have, like, a little dialogue about it where Donna is, like, kind of trying to defend Rachel as her friend, and she's like, oh, mom, I know that you think that she's, like, rude and a troublemaker, but we're friends, and... I feel like I kind of I kind of understand this feeling of like defending your friends to people. Mhm. Mm I don't know. I've had various times in my life where like people have been like I don't know why you're friends with that person. And that is never a fun conversation to have. I I imagine it's even worse if you're having it with your mom. Yeah. I feel like I don't know if I've had that with my mom, but like it's just like any time that somebody is like, "Wow, that person you enjoy spending time with them and you it just like I don't know it makes you feel kind of defensive I don't know I just I felt for Donna in this scene 
Because, like, you want, you want people to approve of the people that you care about. Yeah, it's like on the one hand, yeah, it feels like it reflects poorly on you, but then it also feels like, I mean, if you're friends with somebody, then you feel some degree of, like, affinity and loyalty towards them. Mm-hmm. So. It's kind of interesting, this whole conversation, because Donna's defense, almost every turn of it, is just, well, she's my friend, though. Mm-hmm. Yes. Shared past experiences. We have not met Rachel in the show up to this point. I guess it's worth mentioning. We know the Barclays pretty well by now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we have no idea who this Rachel person is. We kind of are getting an idea of what she is like just based on Mary's skepticism. And observations. Yeah, like... Um, she spends more time in the principal's office than in class. Mm-hmm. And Donna says, like, well, that's an exaggeration. Which is probably true. Yeah. And so it, it, like, that is, like, another reason why, like, their dialogue to me feels like Donna feels like the more emotionally sympathetic person to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just because I've not been in Mary's position as a parent worrying about who my children are spending time with. And who's influencing their behavior. Yeah. Whereas I have been in Donna's position of being like, don't exaggerate. This person is, like, fun, I promise. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. But I didn't notice, like you said, that Donna really only defends her on the basis of their friendship, which mm -hmm. is also kind of telling. It's like you don't have, like, actual things to say about Rachel specifically to defend her? Yeah, like, she doesn't say that she's not rude and a troublemaker, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is a line that I wrote down that Mary says, which is, don't you have better friends in the church group? Right. That is, like, I know it's very early for a cul-de-sac, but this is, like, maybe we just put a pin in it, because this is, like, part of the overarching thoughts that I have about this episode. I guess the most obvious point being, like, that church kids can very easily be bad influences as well. I think that the implication of that line, which Mary is trying to make, is that your Christian friends, like, people who have been raised in the church or are a part of the church are probably going to have better morals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I, I mean, I have personal life experience that says, I was going to say that says otherwise, but that sounds like I'm coming down really harsh on my youth group friends, but I'm just <laughs> saying that youth group is also like a diverse group of kids, mm -hmm. you know? And just because you're raised in the church doesn't mean that you are going to be a believer or have adopted the morals that the church has tried to impart. Right. Um, that kind of thing. I feel like we are kind of getting into it at this point. I know. Should we just call the sack? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, we're kind of camped here. I mean, I, I feel like it's no spoiler to say that this is going to be like sort of a subtly recurring theme. It's in there and it's something that like, yeah, I had mixed feelings about it because Maybe it is because the overall message of the story is choose your friends wisely. Mm -hmm. So within that, Odyssey has the capacity to do a lot of nuance. And they, they do in this episode. Yeah. But at the same time, they heavily imply that like church friend equals better than non-church friend. It's just an oversimplification, I think. Yeah, I think that is the root of it. An oversimplification where Odyssey normally threads the needle really well. Mm -hmm. We are still in early Odyssey, so that could account for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it does. It seems like it's more of just like an implication that Mary is doing. And it's not like they say like, you should be friends with the church kids only. And that would keep you out of trouble. Mm -hmm. 
And that's like not the message that Chris tells at the end. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I remember being in youth group and like some of those kids were real troublemakers, just <laughs> like Rachel proves to be. Yeah, so Donna is gonna go off to the mall because Mary's like, well, I can't keep you, just be home by five. Mm -hmm. And as she's on her way out the door, George walks in and has a conversation with Mary about it mm -hmm. in which he asks, why did you let Donna go? She's like, well, I don't feel like I have any right to keep her from her friend. That seems harsh. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of interesting the way this conversation goes because Mary has this perspective of like, maybe she'll finally learn that Rachel is a bad influence and leave her behind. And George is like, or maybe she'll invite her to church. Yes. I know, like, but this is an interesting, interesting conversation that these parents are having. I feel like it is a good thing to depict, though, that parents will be in, like, different places with different issues, especially as regards their children. I do like that about the Barkley family. I like that about Odyssey, that we have, like, kid characters, and then we also have, like, family characters, like, the Barclays being like the first example in Odyssey where you have like a whole family system that you get to see interact and yeah. grow and develop. But yeah, I find it interesting. I find it interesting that we get to see them talk about like deliberate on what to do in multiple scenarios. And I feel you feel like they're right. I feel like they're right. Like based on Donna's age. Mm -hmm. It She's... seems like also based on like what they know about Rachel also. Yeah. She's, what, 12, 13 at this point? Yeah, she something like that. She's in that range, and the mom says, like, she just has a bad feeling about Rachel. And, like, we to this point, we don't know, like, what has Mary seen, what has Mary heard, other than, like, that Rachel goes to the principal a lot. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, she basically strongly cautioned Donna against being friends and then let her go. It felt to me very strongly implied that it was the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah, that does kind of come back at the end of the episode as well. And I appreciated George's perspective that, like, you know, influence can go both ways. Yeah, which is something I have thoughts about, something we've discussed before. Should we cul-de-sac again? <laughs> so soon. <laughs> Two cul-de-sacs in the same scene. Why not? We can do what we want. This is our podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> so... I feel like this is a complicated and nuanced message that the episode does its best to convey. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit lost in the weeds because Rachel turns out to be, like, such a bad influence. I think with a slightly less bad influence friend, they could have addressed it more directly. Like, if you imagine someone who is maybe not, like, outright breaking the law. <laughs> <laughs> As our little improvised scene foreshadowed. <laughs> yeah, I realize this is going to spoil a little bit, so I'm going to try and not spoil too much. But I feel like it's is important to not discourage kids from having non-Christian friends mm -hmm. for the exact reason that George names in that like there is like a positive influence you can have on that kid and also you don't know what's going on in that kid's life. Mm -hmm. And, like, why they might need someone to show them that kind of unconditional love that Christ gives us. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's it's hard because it's going to heavily depend on the case 
Yeah, and it, and it heavily depends on the maturity of the Christian. I think that is, like, mm-hmm. more fleshed out in Connie's plot arc. And I think the influencing somebody for Christ is also, like, more part of Connie's arc as well, but it's more told than shown mm-hmm. at the end of her little story. So I guess we'll get there. But yeah, I mean, I think it kind of goes without saying, like, you can't, you cannot witness to people without, like, having a relationship with them. Yeah. So, although I wonder, I mean, to some extent, like, I can see how that is, like, a Christian cultural outlook that I can imagine some people having, or, like, a new Christian or Christian of a certain brand of American culture, thinking, like, I can only be friends with Christians and my way of witnessing people is to hand out like gospel tracts or to like tell them the gospel and then invite them to church and then if they start coming to church and start reading the bible and become a christian then we can be friends right that the relationship comes after the conversion mhm mhm yeah i can see how that could be like a view that some people might have and I feel like from from episodes of this podcast that we have previously done, and also from, like, Odyssey as a whole, mm-hmm. I don't think that that is what Odyssey is trying to say, or that that is what we personally believe. Yeah. I mean, Eugene is a non-Christian. He works yep. in the shop. Mm-hmm. He is a central character for Odyssey. And, uh, yeah, he is... I mean, I, I was gonna say he's good friends with Connie, but that's, like, more of a <laughs> developing relationship. And his and Wit's relationship is close. Yeah. And so, but I feel like um, it all has to do with maturity, both like in your faith and in your general life development. And that is sort of what this episode is about, but it is like, it could be a little bit more explicit. I don't know. Well, well let, let's keep going and yeah. see, like, I think we'll be able to talk better about it as we are able to talk more about the plot. Yeah, agreed. So Connie, she is stopping by Wit's house, who is sick. This is like an ongoing thing. Yeah. I, it makes me wonder if the voice actor, like I think we said last time, maybe he had a cold and that's why they put it in the script mm-hmm. that Wit has a cold. He did sound like a little bit husky. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that that plot point would not come back, but lo the- and behold. <laughs> there it is. Continuity. <laughs> Yeah, Connie's on her way to a Bible study, so she's just stopping by to make sure he's okay. And you know that this Bible study is bad news because Mr. Whitaker doesn't be like, oh, a Bible study, that's great. Mr. Whitaker is like, hmm, oh, what kind of Bible study with who? And it's kind of like, hmm, Mr. Whitaker is having questions. This implies... This Bible study is not what it seems. He's very involved in the church. He would know if it were part of their church curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Connie says like, oh no, it's just like a school thing. It's like in- independent of the church. And Wit does like a little like, hmm, interesting kind of thing where it's like, not like, oh, awesome, great, go to Bible study. Good on you, Connie. And so it's like, hmm, <laughs> foreshadowing. Maybe should be worried. This is like a Mr. Whitaker script power, you know, where the writers have just written him to be skeptical of this because they know that this is going to end up being trouble. And therefore, Mr. Whitaker knows it's going to end up being trouble. (laughs) But I mean, a Bible study that is not connected with a church, I've been in them. Mm-hmm. But they've been with, like, people that I know. Yeah. And so I know their faith. But for Connie, it Same. seems like it's being led by a leader that she doesn't actually know. Yeah. 
So. And she was invited by a friend, but she doesn't know who the other people are in the mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so Wit just cautions her to be cautious. And I like the thing that Connie says, which is like, is teaching from the Bible. Like, how could it be bad? Oh, Connie. Oh, Connie. Oh, Connie. <laughs> Let us introduce you to heresy. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a heretical Bible study. <laughs> ah, it is a heretical Bible study. Spoilers, but like... Oh, man. She's promised to give a full report after she goes, even Mm -hmm. though she's like, it'll be harmless. Yeah, because Wit says, you know, like, just because it's a Bible study doesn't mean it's going to be, like, good teaching, just the same way that a building labeled church doesn't mean it's going to be a good, healthy church. Which is a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. I feel like it is a good point coming right on the heels of the Barclays being like, don't you have church friends you could hang out with, Donna? Mm -hmm. So, I think this is one way in which the episode sort of tempers that message of, like, only church people all the time. (laughs) Or at least Wit points out that, you know, just because something says church. Don't mean it's part of the body of God. (laughs) Yeah, so Connie is on her way to the Bible study, and meanwhile, Donna, at the mall, is with her friend Rachel telling her everything that her mom was saying about her. Yeah, evidently, because when we come in, Rachel is like, oh, like, so your parents don't want you hanging out with me. I find it interesting that Donna, like, confided that in her. Yeah. But, I don't know, seems like they do have, like, a rapport and a friendship, because they are comfortable around each other. And Donna has told her this knowing that Rachel probably wouldn't be offended. Because she's not. She's just like, yeah, parents are a huge drag. She calls it typical parent garbage. Typical parent garbage. Donna's like, it's not garbage. Yeah. Where I appreciate that Donna isn't just, like, going along with everything Rachel says. Like, she still is expressing her own opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. They also... Church comes up. Yeah. I forget how. I think that Rachel mentioned something about, like, your parents probably want you going to church instead, huh? Or something like that. Yeah, something like, oh, yeah, they bet they make you go to church, too. And Donna's like, I like church. And Rachel says, like, oh, yeah, no, I do not like church. Like, my mom used to make me go. And then we had a huge fight about it. And now they, like, stopped making me go. And now my parents don't even go anymore. And then Donna floats the idea of, well, maybe you'll like our church, Like, Mm -hmm. I'm inviting you, and Rachel's like, are you serious? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, heck no, I'm not into church things. Like, good on Donna for being kind and inviting her. Yeah. And they are window shopping, hanging out, window shopping, quote unquote. Window (laughs) shopping. And, which is still not a nefarious thing to do. (laughs) Is this the title of the episode? I think it's window shopping in quotes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh, what have I done? Um, yeah, they, they are innocently window shopping, and then Rachel looks in and sees these earrings that she wants, and Donna's like, oh my gosh, do you have your ears pierced? And Rachel's like, yeah, yeah, go on without me to the next door. I'll catch up with you. And then to her credit, I think maybe like the best Rachel moment of the episode is that she's like, oh, hey, Donna, no offense about the whole church thing. Like, it's okay if you like that sort of thing. Yeah. And I I liked that they did that. So Rachel is not, like, an entirely bad person. Mm -hmm. She has her opinions. She is rude and a troublemaker, but, like, 
she wanted, I feel like she wants to let Donna know that, like, it's fine that you invited me to church. I'm not offended by it. And also, like, I don't mean any offense by saying that I don't like church. Like, this isn't something that has to be an issue in our friendship. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to, like, I don't think that this reflects on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was nice. And I liked it. And I feel like it implied that, I don't know, it, it kind of shows, like, a core of their friendship that might be something that's worth keeping. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I don't know. That's kind of all I have to say about that. Do you have thoughts about this scene? I have only one additional thought. I think I have more thoughts, but the cul-de-sac should wait. Okay, we will wait on the cul-de-sac. My only, like, asterisk thought for this scene is the fact that Rachel has her ears pierced. And, like, (laughs) I feel like... (laughs) I don't know if that's meant to, like, signify that she's a bad kid because she's, like young and has her ears pierced because donna is like oh my parents won't let me until i'm older donna still has her virgin ears (laughs) virgin ears is the real title of this episode (laughs) can we say virgin ears on this podcast they're not bad words i know they're they're unpierced it's true it's it's not false (laughs) you know like a virgin Drink has no alcohol. A virgin ear has no piercing. And a virgin forest has never been chopped down. Yeah. I do think it's interesting, though, that having your ears pierced is somehow signaling bad person. Yeah, I wonder if it's maybe because their age... And this is, like, not to say anything about, like, at any age at which a person gets their ears pierced or never gets their ears pierced. Like, I don't think that that reflects on them, I think. But it is, like... I feel like it is being used in this scene as, like, a cue for some reason. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's, like, because it's culturally a different time or it's, like, the culture of whatever specific region of America and ethnicity, because I know ethnicity has a factor in this, like, what age you get your ears pierced. But I feel like it's because it's a thing that Donna has to wait until she's older, and I feel like Christian parents are always making their kids wait until they're older to do things that are, like, not necessarily morally bad, but just, like... Permanent? Well, yeah, I was gonna... (laughs) I wasn't gonna say permanent, but, like... Uh, I don't know, things like reading the Harry Potter books, like things that are, um, they're not even moral gray areas. They're more just like areas in which, I guess, caution is warranted or the parents feel like caution is warranted. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you can't date anybody until you're 18. Oh, you can't get your ears pierced until you're 18. Or, no, you cannot like read the Harry Potter books until you're 18 and then you're an adult and you can decide for yourself. I don't know. I'm just throwing out these as, like, arbitrary sort of things that I imagine parents saying. And not just Christian parents, I guess, but, like, American parents. Yeah, it feels very American. Mm-hmm. I think ear piercing especially, because I did get my ears pierced, uh, and I wasn't allowed to do it until I finished junior high. Mm-hmm. So going into high school, I had my ears pierced. At this point, one of them has closed up because I stopped wearing earrings, because they are kind of a drag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Typical earring garbage. (laughs) Literally. Literally a drag. They drag your ears down. Oh my gosh. And they get tangled in your hair and they fly out the window when you drive with the windows down. I lost my favorite pair of earrings that way. What? That can happen? Yes. If you're wearing the dangly kind. 
that sounds so made up and so terrible. I don't have my ears pierced and never have audience in case that wasn't clear by my (laughs) reactions to most of the things happening in this conversation. Oh my goodness. I feel like though the thing with earrings, especially it's jewelry, it is a kind of adornment meant to draw attention Mm -hmm. to like physical beauty. Mm -hmm. So I can understand like you don't want your like eight-year-old daughter to be thought of in like, Mm -hmm. oh, she's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And also like once again, like within within cultural, ethnic, etc. Like with the attachments that we have to like these things. Exactly. In our, I don't know, in the Odyssey culture. And I'm sure a culture that like many of our listeners who are mostly in the U.S. understand. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, many subcultures diverse within America. So not saying that it's like, if you let your kid get your ears pierced, then bad time. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I grew up with plenty of people who had their ears pierced when they mm-hmm. were babies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which it's is like, like a thing. do it while they're little, while they don't have to think about the pain, and mm-hmm. while you can, like, do all the upkeep and cleaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think you, you like, fully hit the nail on the head as to why probably the Barclays are making this decision for Donna. Mm-hmm. Is it's, yeah, is like, about the kind of attention that one attracts. So, it is interesting. I don't know. I just, I found it an interesting detail. I think it is. It it kind of uncovers what the cultural biases are of mm-hmm. the writers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to examine them. Yeah, I think it's kind of like uh, we've said before in Odyssey or like just talking about media in general. Like if you have a good character, things that they do, even if the text isn't explicitly telling you this is a good thing, they're a good person. So the things that they do are perceived in a positive light. And then the same goes for bad characters. Mm-hmm. And it's like Rachel is, you know, a bad character. Like she's a bad guy in this episode. And... So the things that she does, whether or not they are actually painted in a moral light, are basically painted in a moral light because, like, you know, it's a bad person doing them. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting point. Um, all right, let, let's move on. Sorry, this this yeah. was like a much larger cul-de-sac <laughs> than I intended it to be. Uh, an, an earlobe? An earlobe shaped cul-de-sac. cul-de-sac. And yes. Exactly. Are we going to call cul-de-sacs earlobes from now on? (laughs) No. Does it even make sense to people when we call them cul-de-sacs? I feel like it does. A conversational cul-de-sac. Is that just a thing that I say? That's a real thing. It's a a real thing. It's a real phrase. Okay, good. Just checking. Just checking. I grew up on a cul-de-sac. No, that is not what I meant. In this episode of Podventures, Tatiana learns that earrings can fly out of your ears in cars and also that cul-de-sacs are real. <laughs> Tatiana has never seen a street that didn't go all the way. <laughs> Is this a new segment, Things Tatiana Learned, this episode? I hope not. <laughs> I'm not here to learn. <laughs> I'm here to talk about Odyssey. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, let's let's quickly move on from this place. Swiftly. Swiftly to um, what I have written in my notes is Philip Glossman's Bible study. Okay, that's who it was. That's who it was. 
it isn't really Philip Glossman's Bible study, but it is the same voice. Um, I, I think we gather later on that his name is actually Mr. Grayson. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we have Mr. Grayson being like, oh, all right, everybody, let's reel it in. No more potato chips. It's time for actual study. Meat. Meat of the word. <laughs> Without the context of just having listened to the episode... <laughs> You saying meat immediately after what I just said probably sounded insane. (laughs) The context, he says, let's move on to the meat of the word. Yes, he does say that. He does. We promise. Sorry, you just like made full eye contact with me and just said meat. (laughs) No real lead in. Oh my gosh, oh no, this episode is starting to get away from us. It all started with the virgin ears. Alright. Oh my gosh, okay, okay. So I'm try, trying to remember what is happening in this scene. This dude uh, wants to to lead us into the Bible study, and um, he's like, okay, what, what did we talk about last time? And someone in the study, who I presume is Maggie, the person who invited mm-hmm, Connie, mm-hmm. or maybe someone else, mm-hmm. explains that they talked about how the disciples got confused about the teachings of Jesus because Jesus never claimed to be God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first half of that statement is like tracking with her because the disciples 100% got confused about the teachings of Jesus. All the time. All the, probably like, like I don't know if I'd say 90% of the time, but like, like more than 50%, at least in the Gospels. They figured it out afterwards. But anyway, so I was tracking with her up until she said the heretical thing. Do you remember the name of that heresy? I'm going to look it up because I think it is a worthwhile vocab word. Let's see. So the heresy that they are ascribing to is Arianism, which holds that God the Father is distinct from the Son of God and that they are not co-eternal. So basically that Jesus was a finite being and didn't have, he, he wasn't deific. Deific? I don't know. There's a better word. No, I think deific <laughs> is the real word, and we both should have committed to it. <laughs> yeah, guys, that's an OG heresy, mm-hmm. by which I mean, like, I don't know, early church. 250. OC. Original church <laughs> heresy. <laughs> oh, no. OCH. OCH alert. <laughs> OCH alert. How, how many times are we going to have that segment <laughs> In our podcast. I don't know. I feel like Arianism will come up again, maybe. Eh, yeah, probably. I'm sure I'm sure we'll have other people espousing heresies when they are, you know, trying to talk about Christianity without knowing what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting in this scene, too, that they are not actually doing a Bible study. They're not opening the oh, Bible. Oh, they're not. Yeah, it's a huge bummer. Yeah, it, they, they go on to say, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was saying that God is in all of us, you know. It's encapsulated in the line where Connie is like, oh, you know, if we're turning to this other random book, like, shouldn't we actually be reading the Bible, like what Jesus has actually said? And the Bible study leader says, oh, the Bible can mean anything you want it to mean. 
As if you cannot apply the exact same horrible hermeneutics to literally anything else. Right. Which is why I find it so interesting. He's like, oh yeah, the Bible can mean anything you want it to mean. But now let's go read a different book. This book by Victor Rutledge, which only means one thing. Yeah, this book only means one thing. I think what he really means is like, you know, this book was written in our culture by somebody of our culture for readers of our culture. And therefore it can only mean one thing because it is easy for us to interpret because we don't have to do any of the hermeneutical work of putting ourselves in the shoes of the original audience or trying to understand the original language or the original author. Mm-hmm. This has been Tatiana's rant about reading the Bible out of context. Thank you all for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> I remember we had a college professor who was always stressing the importance of the first century Jewish perspective in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that came up every class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I it makes yeah I I think of the Bible Project. They they use a metaphor of um, like visiting a foreign culture or like visiting another country, and like you get off the plane and you're just like, okay, like where's the McDonald's? It's like you're not in America. Like you know, take your time, get to know your surroundings, maybe try the local food. You know, this culture doesn't exist to serve you or match your expectations of it. I guess, like, even if you recognize something, it's not going to be exactly what you think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it may or may not mean the same thing. And mm-hmm. again, like, I feel like I think of a metaphor sometimes where you think about, like, if somebody from the distant future tried to do this to our culture, and, like, say, like, even with a simple example, like, you're writing something and you're just, like, talking about a tiger shark, the animal. Mm-hmm. Anybody in our current modern culture would understand that you're referring to a specific species of shark that happens to be striped. And then imagine like going into the future and some people being like, oh yeah, it seems like this word or this phrase referred to a specific type of animal that was a shark that had stripes like a tiger. And then you get other people being like, but if you parse the word differently, it actually is two words for two different animals. And it may be implied that like this culture believed in like a hybridized version of like both a tiger and a shark. And maybe it was all different. It's and, a land shark. And maybe it was a land shark. And then you have other people being like, well, there's no evidence for that. Like there's, you know, no evidence that we can see that anybody thought that that creature existed. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the kind of hermeneutics that you have to do where it's like you're reading a different language about a different culture there are multiple ways to interpret words and yet if you actually spend some time in that culture which takes a lot of effort when the culture is removed by geography and time Mm -hmm. but if you put in that work then you will be able to say pretty definitively like no jesus actually really really did claim to be co-equal with god promise you he did Many times. Many times and in many ways, to the point that, like, obviously the people of his culture knew what he was saying because they killed him for it. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, this this has been the full TED Talk. <laughs> so, we kind of trail off in the middle of their Bible study as they are like, here's the evidence from the book on why he wasn't God. And then, as we're leaving that behind, we cut back to the mall... And Rachel and Donna are leaving, presumably to head home, except that Rachel wants to go to the bowling alley. Mm-hmm. And Donna's like, no, I got it. My mom told me to be home at five. 
And Rachel's like, so you're going to be home at five. As though that's like the worst thing in the world. I know. She also, I feel like she kind of says it with like a degree of marveling as well. Like it's like sort of teasing, sort of negative, but also sort of like, wow, you're really going to do that because your mom told you to. And I feel like this is like an example of Donna witnessing to her. Oh, yeah. In, like, a really small way. Because, like, Rachel, clearly she's not like, wow, that's so cool that you actually do what your mom tells you. Like, she doesn't think it's cool, but at the same time, it's clearly making an impression on her. Of, like, wow, how is your relationship with your mom, and why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> she explains that her mom only expects her to be home by eight, and she comes home whenever she wants to. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is witnessing. It's it's important and it's a brief moment, but like just like that earlier scene where they're like, hey, no offense. Mm-hmm. It is showing that there like there is benefit to this relationship. There is a core to it that something is going on here. Mm-hmm. Um And I mean clearly Rachel wants to spend more time with Donna, mm-hmm. even though they have these differences. Yeah. She wants her to come to the bowling alley. Yeah. She's like, sometimes we hang out back when we get kicked out. And I'm like, oh, kicked out. Kicked out. Kicked out of the Denny's after the after the rap party for the play. <laughs> what? If, you, if you've never been in theater. If you've never been kicked out of a Denny's. <laughs> ours was not a Denny's. It was an IHOP. And we we're, were banned. <gasps> banned. We were banned Why? from the IHOP. We were banned from like three different IHOPs. Oh my gosh. We were too loud, and I think some kids left without paying. Yeah, probably. I feel like, I don't think I ever actually got kicked out or banned from a Denny's, but I, I mean... Us I collectively, know. not like... Exactly. Us individually. Yeah, it's like, I mean, when you're part of a production, there's gonna be, like, upward of 30 people that you go to a Denny's with, and when the manager's like, out, out, all of you out, then you're like, oh, I'm sorry. There were 75 of us from one <laughs> of our productions. That is far too many children <laughs> to be in an IHOP. At like 11 o'clock Oh at my night. gosh, I can see why they were like, no. And there was only one person working and she had just gotten out of the hospital. <gasps> oh no. It was awful. It is fun. You do get to know the servers when you are in situations like this. Yeah. And uh, if the server is listening and remembers this, we are so sorry. <laughs> They're sorry. All of them. I speak for the people. <laughs> Another good out-of-context line for this episode. It's just chock-full of them. Uh, where, what are we even talking about? Bowling. I've very much lost the thread. Rachel, bowling. Ra- Rachel, bowling. Rachel, bowling! bowling. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a weird Odyssey deep cut. That's like from album one or two. One, I think. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. That's a that's a reference to Chris Corner, where the narrator Chris has like a little sketch about going bowling. Bowling is featuring very heavily in Odyssey so far. Also, do we know the name of the bowling alley at this point? Uh no. I don't think we do. Do we ever? Maybe not. Hmm. Well, whatever. It's there. It's there. And um uh, let's see. So at this point, they are interrupted because mall security comes over to them. And he's explaining that he's been watching them for a while, probably longer than they'd like. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, he he wants uh he wants to look in their bags. Oh, and he asks their names as well. And Donna tells him straight up, Donna Barkley, and Rachel is like, "Don't tell him your name." Mhm. And Donna is like, "It's like we should do what he says, Rachel." 
And she's like, don't you need a search warrant? And he's like, yeah, you watch too much TV. <laughs> and looks in Rachel's bag and she has a bunch of jewelry in there. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, as soon as she gets caught, she just runs for it. Yep. And, and um, tells Donna to run too, actually. Yeah. And Donna just calls after her like, Rachel, understandably. Yeah. Um, And that's our mid-episode break. Is Donna in trouble with the detective? Is she? This is a very fitting mid-episode question that Chris has for us, I think. Mall detective. Mall detective. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I didn't know that you had a rank such as detective in the mall. Yeah, is that just like an outdated phrase? I I thought he was just a mall cop or like a security officer or something. Yeah. But Maybe. whatever. Anyway, I put a pin in this interaction because I have I have like multiple stories for story time after this. So maybe we do that like at the end of the episode. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. The pin has been put. So many pins. Mm-hmm. All right. Back from mid-episode. Uh, let's see. Connie is coming back to Wit's house right after the Bible study. And she's not in a super great mood. Yeah, she's ostensibly here to check on Wit's health again, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but really she's here because she's confused. Yeah, she's confused because she's like, I thought I knew my stuff, but like Mr. Grayson made a lot of sense. Like the stuff that he said and the way that he said it, like he made good points and, um... And he had an answer for every question that she had. mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was, she says he was too smart to argue with. And Wit responds by just affirming a lot of biblical truths for Connie, which I think was really the right response. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, when a person is, like, feeling like, oh, gosh, like, oh, I don't feel good. I feel confused. And, like, what is even real? And it's like the spirit just, like, rushes in and is like, no, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And he is the son of God and he is God. And... And these are the fundamental tenets of our faith, and Mm -hmm. without them, our faith is worthless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I appreciated that Wit helps her by doing that, and then um, put a pin in this whole scene as well, because I have another story. Oh, oh my. So yeah, those are my two pins for the two stories at the end. There are like three pins now. Don't stab yourself. Yeah, see, we never have final thoughts, but today I'm going to have final thoughts. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I read on another quote, which is that Mr. Grayson said, if you can't defend your beliefs, then your beliefs are wrong. That's the dumbest thing. <laughs> that is so false. That's, I mean, it's logically false. It's like a logical fallacy. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's a name for that fallacy. It, it reminds me of the fallacy fallacy, which is that your argument is wrong if there's a fallacy in it or not wrong, but like, you know, untrue. Mm-hmm. If there is a fallacy in it, which is like, that's not how truth works, unfortunately. Yeah. So. Just because you argued it bad doesn't make it wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I feel like, and I, I don't know, I find it like, who is this Mr. Grayson and what is his deal? And you know what occurred to me? What? Maybe he's trying to start a cult. Oh, no. Because who is a, like, teacher who wants to get a bunch of students together to come to his house and, like, teach the Bible, like, ostensibly as a Bible study, and then not touch the Bible, and then just tell them all that their opinions are wrong. 
unless they can defend their opinions. Oh, and clearly no. he's like better versed in rhetoric than all of them. It's like, what? what is your deal, Mr. Grayson? Like, why on earth are you doing this dumb Bible study and putting other people's opinions down? It just, I don't know. I, I it, This never comes up in Odyssey again, but it did make me suddenly question like, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? Does he not have better things to do with his time? <laughs> And he's very charismatic, too, so... Mm -hmm. Meat. <laughs> the meat of the study. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get, like, the worst vibes from him, but the kind of person who says if you can't defend your beliefs, then your beliefs are wrong, like, I feel like he is too smart to believe that. Yeah. Because that is, like... It I don't know, an raises, absurd statement. Raises some red flags. It sure does. Stay away from people who tell you that specific phrase. <laughs> uh, okay, so all right, that, that just bothered me. I had to get that out there. <laughs> yeah, so Connie, after this conversation, is like, well, you're probably going to advise me not to go back, right? Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that Wit says, like, well, that's up to you. But I do, like, I, I do think that it's not a good idea to keep going. So, and I feel like this is another good example of when Mr. Whitaker gives advice to people. He's always, like, tailoring it to the age of the person. Like, the younger the kid, the more, I don't know, he's just always age-appropriate. Yeah. And he, like, he strongly cautions people, like, more strongly when they're younger. But Connie is 16, and so he's like, mm, I mean, you're a new Christian, though. But if you want to, like, he's not, like, telling her, you must not. <laughs> Right, especially because to tie this back into the Rachel story, these are Connie's friends yeah, in this group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting that we get an example here of like these people could be a bad influence on your faith journey, mm -hmm. but you are old enough to like recognize wisdom when it's given to you and like use that to defend yourself and also help influence these people for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, with, um, he quotes Corinthians and, no, I think it's just Corinthians to her, uh, and says, bad company corrupts good morals, and, and, like, a few other verses as well, mm -hmm. but, um, that's the title of this episode, Bad Company. I don't know, what else to say about that, anything? About that specifically? Or, yeah, just what Mr. Whitaker has to say? He does have one more thing to say. Yeah, he has he has sort of a solution to the problem. Is that what you're thinking of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Connie is like, well, what do I do? Like, we we wanted to have a Bible study, you know, us students. And Wit says, well, you could go back and warn them and then bring them here. Mm-hmm. Man, bring them to Wit's End and, you know, have your own Bible study at Wit's End. Which I think at the at the beginning of this episode, Connie is like, I've been leading a Bible study, so I wanted to join one so that I'm, you know, there's no, like, leader pressure. Mm -hmm. And so now I think Wit is offering, though, to lead a Bible study for them at Wit's End. Yeah. Yeah, which is nice. She's so excited. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I feel like, okay, this, this connects back to what I was saying, like, way earlier. I don't know if anybody or even myself will even remember exactly what I was talking <laughs> about, like, towards the beginning of the episode. But this is what I mean where they, like, they tell but don't show this solution mm -hmm. to this problem where it's, like, how do you make sure that you are influencing and not being influenced for bad? Influencing for good without being influenced for bad. And I think that the, the solution that they come up with here is to just, you know make sure that there is 
somebody who is, for intents and purposes, an authority figure who you know is a trustworthy person Mm -hmm. to lead. Maybe leader is better word than authority figure. (laughs) Spiritual authority, though. But, um... Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, the wisdom of, like, the, the situation that you put yourself in, where when you put yourself in a Bible study, that, like, a leader has a certain amount of authority over, because they guide the discussion, so they're going to determine the kinds of things that you're talking about and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Donna and Rachel have a friendship, which is 50-50 equality, you know, mutual relationship. Right. So I feel like maybe in a friendship, it's just harder when there are no boundaries around, like how your relationship works in terms of who influences whom. It's just, like, on the force of personality. Yeah. So I guess I think, like, their relationship between Donna and Rachel, I mean, Mm -hmm. could work in the context of, like, a classroom, Mm -hmm. but probably could not have the same degree of closeness that they shared previously because they just have fundamentally different moral compasses. Yeah. Shall we get into that? Let's get into that and then we can talk about everything because we only have like two scenes left in this episode. Um, Yeah, the next scene is in the bowling alley and uh, we have like an interesting little tidbit where Rachel is telling her version of the story to her friends that she's hanging out with. Mm-hmm. Like she's kind of painting herself in a much cooler light <laughs> than what actually happened. Yeah. Being like, and then I told him, you can't look in my bag without a search warrant. <laughs> Like, eh, that's not really what happened. But uh, Donna arrives. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, she's not, like, super mad, but she's not, like, that happy to be there. I don't know. I'd say she's, like, upset. She seems disappointed, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hurt. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rachel ran out on her. That is, like, a bit of a betrayal. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, Rachel was instructing her to do the same. Yeah. Kind of thinking mm-hmm. of it as, like, maybe a Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, Donna, I believe, paid for the earrings. Or she's going to. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't have her allowance she, right now. Yeah, she agreed to or something. She made an arrangement with the detective because she got lectured for half an hour mm-hmm. about everything. And so she came to find Rachel to say, like, well, like, I'm going to have to pay for this. So will you pay for it or return the earrings? Because evidently Rachel took the bag. I guess so, yeah. And Rachel is not cool about it. No. Which I found kind of interesting. I feel like based on how their relationship has been portrayed up to this point, I would think that Rachel would be a little bit cooler about it, but it seems like, I don't know, it's disappointing. I think it's as disappointing to us as it is to Donna, or like, you know, for the same reasons. And I I just wonder why, because it seemed like Rachel was like, oh yeah, it's cool if you like church and whatever. And then when Donna comes in, she's like, are you gonna like preach at me? Like here comes the sermon, and it's like, that's not how she was feeling about their friendship earlier. I feel like it has to be the guilt eating away at her, making her act like this. I'm sure. I wonder if it's also a, uh, like, a pattern of having issues with authority. Mm -hmm. And, like, when Donna comes in being like, hey, I need you to do something, then, like, Rachel's knee-jerk reaction is to be like, no. Yeah. Because she has some issues, clearly, with her parents, and authority in general. So, yeah, I feel like that, like, put Rachel in a different headspace, and she just refuses to take back the earrings because... Because no. (laughs) No, I won't. It's a rebellious thing. (sighs) Ugh, it frustrates me to no end. It's just really sad when people have that in them. 
Yeah. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, I guess it's like just like a rebellious streak to the degree that it's like if somebody tells you to do something, you'll do the opposite out of spite. You know what I mean? You can ruin your life living that way. Yeah. Anyway, so it is it is sad and uh, I appreciate though that Donna puts up good boundaries because Rachel is like, well, I guess then we're not going to hang out anymore. And Donna's like, no, we're not. Like... She's like, I'll see you around. Yeah, it like ends their friendship. But uh, I feel like it's an appropriate thing to break a friendship over. Mm-hmm. From, from Donna's part, not from Rachel's part. Rachel is the one being unreasonable. Yeah, I feel like if somebody stole something and then you're like, I'm either going to pay for it or you return it. And then they're like, no, I would rather you pay for what I stole. Yeah. <laughs> Effectively forcing Donna to buy her earrings after she committed a crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not cool, Rachel. No. So that is the end of that scene and their friendship. And uh, our final scene is back at the Barclays house. Donna is watching Macho Headbanger Private Eye on TV. (laughs) Would love to see an episode of Macho Headbanger Private Eye. I'm like, is this a Jimmy show? This is totally a Jimmy show. I just like, I'm Headbanger Private Eye? Like he's a rock star? That's, like, the image it's bringing to my mind now, is that he's, he's like, super ripped. He's he's a pro wrestler. He's He's in a band. in a band. And he's a private eye. That rules! (laughs) (laughs) I'd watch that. That sounds like such a good show. (laughs) Wow, okay. Send us your fan art of Macho Headbanger Private Eye. Uh, Extra points if he has any shark or tiger motifs in his outfit. Yes, please, both. He needs to have, like, a rock star haircut and a trench coat and a fedora and also, like, one of those wrestling onesies, but also, like, a guitar and stuff. Yeah. Some, like, rock, punk rock, I don't know, what do you call those spiky bracelet things? I I don't know. Spiky bracelet. Yep, that's the actual term. (laughs) And spiky boots. Yeah. I, I would love to see this man. I love this idea. Um... So, yeah, and and Mary, her mom, comes in being like, hey, Donna, like, what are you doing? And Donna's like, I don't know. And she's like, you you hate this show. And Donna's like, oh, yeah. So her mom turns it off. (laughs) It's like an auditory relief because it was loud. It was basically just gunshots and screaming is what it sounded like (laughs) to me. Donna? Yeah, Mom? Is everything all right? Yeah, it's okay. Why? You're watching Macho Headbanger Private Eye on TV. Oh, yeah. I am, aren't I? You hate Macho Headbanger Private Eye. Oh, yeah, I do. Do you mind? No. (laughs) Yeah. Which is less cool of a show, but it would have been cool if there was, like, guitar music and cheering crowds of a wrestling match and dinging bells maybe he fights the criminals in the match like in the ring at the end and then oh that would be cool and maybe this is like how he solves his crimes as he like tells everyone sorry this is something <laughs> pitch for this fake show yeah. pitch pitch <laughs> this show give your elevator pitch <laughs> He solves the crime by, like, telling everyone what the criminal did as he's, like, wrestling them. Oh, yeah. Hits them with the chair of justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Sold to network TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Wow. Okay. So yeah, the, the show gets turned off though. And then, um, th- they talk about what happened and Mary is proud of the way that Donna reacted in the situation. Connecting back to Mary's whole thing at the beginning. Oh yeah. She does say something like, I kind of had a sense about your friendship with Rachel, but I didn't think like I could really convince you. And Donna was like, yeah, you were right about her. Mm-hmm. It was time for the friendship to end. And Mary says that it might be hard to stay friends with people who don't love Jesus. But yeah, because she's saying, you know, you've been changing, Donna. And, you know, when you change, you might find that it's harder to stay friends with certain people. And she also has Donna read a portion of Psalm 1, like the first four verses. Uh, It is, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's like the first two verses anyways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And the next two talk about like, it will be like, you know, you'll be like trees planted by streams of water for the the righteous person, blessed by God. Um, But the wicked are like chaff in the wind. mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and that, that ends the episode, like, Donna reads her verses, and then it's Chris giving us a little bookend, uh, in which she essentially says, you know, be wise about who you choose to be friends with. Mm-hmm. And with that, let us go to discussion questions. I have, here's the first one, which has a bullet point. How do your friends affect your faith? If you're a Christian, do you think that it's appropriate to have non-Christian friends? What a question. What a question and what a pair of questions. And I feel like uh, to parse this, how do your friends affect your faith? I wonder if they're asking like me personally or do they mean like how do friends affect one's faith? Like generally? Yeah. I mean, you become like the people you spend time with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that that pretty much summarizes it. So, okay, in light of that, if you're a Christian, do you think it's appropriate to have non-Christian friends? Yes. Yes, which seems like the counterintuitive response based on the previous. But I mean, obviously, real life is is more complex. And I think, I don't know. I feel like, like you mentioned before we recorded and also earlier during recording, like Eugene is not a Christian and he is a central feature of this show. And I think he's very important, partly for that reason. Yeah, I feel like the important distinction here is that non-Christian does not therefore equal bad, evil person. Yeah, I think that is like a flaw of the question because it's like, that's like kind of my main problem with the episode is the implication that Christians and church kids, like that those labels mean that you will be a good influence. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think what they're really trying to say is, you know, make sure that you choose your friends wisely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I have always had like a pretty solid split of Christian, non-Christian friends, like in the same group. Like my closest groups of friends have always been a mix of both. I think even though I grew up in Christian schools, like my entire life, non-Christians did attend those schools because they were just good schools. Mm -hmm. And so I do remember having non-christian friends at least in high school maybe not in elementary school Mm -hmm. and we had non-christian friends in college yeah we went to a christian college together and we had very dear friend neighbor who is not a believer she's off saving the world she is (laughs) let's just not specify any more than that we'll just leave it at that yeah (laughs) (laughs) just know that she's off saving the world um 
And so, yeah, I, yeah, man, there are degrees of closeness when it comes to friendship as well. And there is like the amount of time that you spend with somebody. Yeah. You know, so there uh, are like certain aspects of your life that you can share with your fellow believers that you probably won't get to share with your non-believing friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it will eventually probably prevent you from being the closest of friends with your unbelieving friends. Mm-hmm. Which, like, not even touch on the, the territory of, you know, falling in love with, with non-Christian people. That'll come in a later episode. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we'll talk about that when oh, we get no. to it. But, yeah, I mean, I feel like, yeah, appropriate is not the word I would have used in this context for this question. But, I mean, I think it's not only appropriate, it's, like, necessary. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, I don't know, friends, but, you know, you need to have unbelieving people in your life. Yeah. Otherwise, how are you going to witness? Relationships. Unless you're a monk, and that's your calling, is to just live in a special, specific place where your entire life is dedicated to prayer and disciplines. But I feel like even monks at monasteries and nuns in convents get, like, visitors. Yeah. So, anyway... I think we, we've covered that pretty much. Do you have additional thoughts about it? Is this like our final cul-de-sac about this topic? Do we want to do it now or do we want to finish the discussion questions is the question. I, I don't know how much else I have to say about it. So I'm curious, what, what else do you have to say about like this distinction that this episode is implying? Most of my thoughts have to do with like the specific family situation that troubled kids are in. Ah, uh, Yes. Because I think it is important for kids who don't have a good family life to have good friends. Mm -hmm. But like navigating that when they're so young and when their friends are also young, mm -hmm. it, it gets a little sticky. Yeah, I think there, I had a good family life growing up. And I think there are things that I wish that I knew about the world that would have affected some things that I would have done or said to people, like, as a kid. I don't know. Just, like, being in the position to be a good friend to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing where it's, like, now that you... Now that one is an adult, one looks back on the kid that was always, like, annoying and weird, and you go, like, oh, yeah, maybe that kid, like, had some stuff going on in her life. And, you know, there are kids that just, like, they end up getting avoided by everybody else because mm -hmm. of behavioral issues. Like, I definitely know that my parents were very good at, like, encouraging relationships with kids who came from difficult backgrounds, mm -hmm. and they always had a policy of, like, our home is open. Mm -hmm. Like, the kids can come and play whenever they want. Mm -hmm. So that was always really great. That is really nice. Yeah. But then, like, Donna, like, you have to also, like, you're not Jesus, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's not your job necessarily unless the spirit is moving you to be this person's person right it's not your job to save another kid out yeah. of a bad situation or you know you don't have to be friends with somebody like donna broke off this friendship and i think it was appropriate to do so mm -hmm. so even though i think rachel pretty clearly comes from a troubled home and in fact, we know that she does because of reasons that we've somehow managed not to talk about this entire episode. I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Odyssey fans, if you know, then you know. And if you don't know, then maybe you forgot. Or maybe that'll just be a surprise for later. 
Look forward to that. We are we are circling the plot of Odyssey here. Yep. We are in the the far reaches of the orbit of the plot, approaching it slowly one episode at a time. I guess what I really wanted for Rachel was for there to be other people in her life who could be that for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking of, I remember we have in the future of Odyssey a friend relationship with a, like, straight-laced kid and a kid who, like, falls to the wrong side of the tracks and um, they eventually make up and become friends again. I kind of wish that there had been, like, maybe a seed of that, Abel, in, in Donna and Rachel's relationship, or you can see, like, no, we have to break up this friendship now, but, like... If you ever decide that you do want to do the right thing, like, I'll still be here. Mm-hmm. It's not really what the episode is about. It's more of, like, a selfish wish because I care about Rachel as a character <laughs> for reasons. Yeah. <laughs> because of reasons. Because of very important plot reasons. Ugh, I do. Oh, well. Anyway. Question two? Mm-hmm. Now, the question does say Psalm 1, 1 through 4, and 2 Corinthians 6, 1. It does not say to read them. <laughs> But I am assuming it wants us to. We read one of those. And then it asks the question, what kinds of friends do you hang around with? Which seems unrelated. (laughs) It seems like just a personal question. What kind of friends do you hang around with? Not should you, but do you? Regular friends. Yeah, normal friends. I don't know what to say about that. Um, I I think we, we kind of already talked about it. Christian and non-Christian friends. I, would say, I don't think I hang out with friends who commit crimes, though. No. For the most part. We don't hang out with criminals. We do not hang out with criminals, to our knowledge. Um, <laughs> you never know what people are doing. But you do kind of know. Someone could secretly be a supervillain. We don't know. Yeah, I sure hope not. But I do know who it would be. Don't we both? Don't we know? All right. Well, okay. Let, let's just move on to question three, because I think this will be more discussion worthy. Um, how can you be sure that you and your friends believe the same things about God? What a question. Explain God to each other. Yeah. Ooh, explain God to one another so that you can be sure that your beliefs align. I feel like we've got loaded questions this time because it's like uh, leading you to, to say that you must have the same beliefs. But I, mean, I feel like... Um, you must have the same fundamental beliefs. If if you both claim to be Christian, yeah. I think so. But, like, otherwise, like, no, we're friends with, like, an agnostic person and, and atheists and things like that. Yeah. So I don't think that you have to be sure that you have the same beliefs because I think that you will have people who explicitly have different beliefs than you. Oh, it didn't say Christian friends, did it? No, I think it... Uh, yeah, let, let me reread it. Yeah, no, it does not say Christian friends. Okay. <laughs> but I think it should say Christian friends, maybe because I think this question is more about the Connie plotline. Uh-huh. You know, of like, how can you be sure that you and your friends believe the th- same things about God? Uh, yeah, I think maybe a better question is like, how can you be sure that you and your Christian friends are, I don't know, going to a Bible study not led by a wannabe cult leader? <laughs> very specific yeah how can you be sure though because i think the i think the answer to that question is going to be the same as the answer that the, the question is actually looking for how can you be sure you're not getting inducted into a cult <laughs> well i think wit kind of outlines it at the end do they believe that christ was god and that he 
died and was raised again. Mm-hmm. If you can check yes next to all those three, then you are probably okay, You're but there the are like park. more. Yeah, yeah, this is making me think like in our doctrine class, we had to memorize the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, if you can't, if you, you can't or don't want to memorize the Apostles' Creed, maybe have it printed and handy, save it on your phone, do something with it. If you're like a fairly new believer, just like just know that the Apostles' Creed is bueno. Or learn the song. Oh yeah, there is an Apostles' Creed song, huh? I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. We're putting out an album. <laughs> We're pitching a show. We're putting out an album. I was about to Man. tell you, we're we're going to sing this whole song right now and get <laughs> copyright sued. <laughs> Isn't it in the public domain yet? I, I don't know. That song? Know that, song's not, that song's that new. new. Yeah. Oh. oh, but the Apostles' Creed, I'm sure, is in the public like domain. <laughs> also, you know, these, these Christian music labels are notoriously litigious, so I would be worried. But okay, no, no, no. But anyway, yeah, I think, um, but I think that's good advice, though, you know, to surround yourself with people that you know are trustworthy, spiritually mature authorities. Like, you know, uh, don't try to live your faith in a vacuum, you know, be part of the body because the body will be able to test and approve. Yeah. I mean, we were just in a study on First uh, Corinthians, and part of it says, you know, like, make time for prophecy when people can, like, stand up and share a word that is on their heart, and then the whole body can, like, test it and approve it. And it's like, you know, if somebody stands up and says something like, Jesus just meant that, you know, God is in all of us, and that's what he was trying to say. I think the whole church body would be like, no. no. Yeah, no. No, no, no. So... Anyway, yeah, don't don't try to live your faith in a vacuum. Um, be a member of the body and memorize the Apostles' Creed and be in scripture because scripture will test and approve itself. Yeah. And the spirit will lead you. Don't just read books about scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check your sources for these books written by this random guy. Mr. Rutledge. Mr. Rutledge with no hermeneutical knowledge whatsoever. I'm very curious if it's a real book. Oh, I wonder. They should have thrown shade on a real book if they did <laughs> Odyssey should be picking fights. Um, <laughs> I'm full of hot takes today. Okay, so, oh, man. Okay, that, that is, I'm trying to cut it short because we still have, like, thoughts to talk about. Oh, gosh, yeah. You um, have stories. Story I have time. two stories. I will make them brief. I need to look at my notes again. Yeah, because that's kind of it for the discussion questions, but mm-hmm. you still had some pins. All right, pins. Okay, um, I will, I'll do them in reverse order of what made me think of them. So when Connie comes in being like, I'm real confused. I just, I had to try to defend my beliefs and like, I just feel like weird now. Like, I don't know what to believe. That brought up a memory for me of being in college and uh, being in sociology class And Christian school, Christian professor and everything. And the professor invited a Vedic nun to speak to our class. And I think this religion is related to Hinduism. I will not pretend to know exactly how. I think it is like, uses like some of the like earliest Hindu texts, but like branches off like early or 
in the formation of the Hindu religion. But anyway, so so she was a Vedic nun who grew up Christian. Um, she's like a white American from the Midwest. And um, I don't remember like what her, her life story was, but basically he just had her come and talk to our class and, you know, for, it was a sociology class. It made sense. Um, and I just remember like her outlining her whole religion and like really talking us through it and it immersed us in that mindset for an hour and I remember after that class I felt I did not feel shaky in my faith or questioning my beliefs or anything but I felt so weird and spacey I mean it was just kind of like um like dissociating almost not like really but I just felt I think I felt the way that Connie felt just being like man I feel like this is a line Connie says she's like I feel like my brain got squeezed out like a sponge it was like I don't know if I want to like go into like the beliefs of their religion are like very um it is a cycle of rebirth and you are reborn into reality until you ascend beyond it to become part of a being, for lack of like a better term for the deity, mm -hmm. uh, which is like a cosmic sort of oneness. And I apologize if I'm getting that wrong to any Vedic or Hindu listeners. Um, but uh, yeah, so but then there was the notion of it, and it was the notion that reality is like an arrow that hits a deer in the woods. The deer doesn't know why this is happening to it; it just knows that it's there, and that's their perspective on reality and life. Is that you know we don't know why we've been inflicted with existence; we're just here. And we don't know why we have to go through this cycle of living lives and being reborn. Like, there's no explanation for it. We just have to, like, wait for it to be over. And I think just, like, being immersed in that perspective for an hour just made me come out feeling terrible. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's because it's, it's very antithetical to the Christian perspective, which firmly asserts that life has beauty and meaning. And that that beauty and meaning comes from a specific person who is trustworthy and who loves you. And, you know, it's just the night and day sort of perspective on what life even is. And I came out of that class and I went into my room and I sat in my bed and I just started writing scripture on note cards and like taping them to my wall and to my bedposts like it just reminded me of what Mr. Whitaker did by being like, no, Jesus is real. Jesus is God. He died on the cross for you. Like, I basically did that. Like, I went into the room, went into my Bible, and just started, like, posting scripture all around myself because I felt so, like, discombobulated by this worldview. It's like when you wake up from a really vivid nightmare and have to remind yourself of reality. Yeah, of like, oh, no, this isn't real. This is not actually... Life does have meaning all of these things, truths, truths that I had to remind myself of. So anyway, that's, that's story time part one. Story time part two is, um, boy, I know we're running long, but like this is an episode of Odyssey that I thought of back when we were originally thinking to do this podcast. And uh -huh. it is like because of my personal experience with this episode as a child, 
because I liked this episode as a kid and I remembered it strongly. And what I remembered of it was not at all the lesson that the episode is trying to teach. Really? Not remotely. What I remembered of this episode or what, like, I think the truth is, like, this is what God taught me using this episode is that you, like, do not run away from guilt and confession. Like, when somebody has done something wrong or when you have done something wrong and you are caught, you do not run away from it. And, yeah, that that's what this episode instilled in me, which I find interesting because it's, like, it's just a coincidence of Odyssey's good writing mm-hmm. that every episode of Odyssey is probably doing more than one thing. And it may or may not be what the episode is about, but it's, like, you know, a byproduct of Donna growing in her faith that this is the action that she takes. Mm-hmm. That when the friend gets caught stealing, Donna stays and talks to the detective, even though the friend is like, run, Donna, run. Donna doesn't run away. And, um, yeah, I had... Speaking of um, being bad delinquent theater kids, <laughs> I was on tech crew uh, for, you know, summer camp, theater, summer projects. I remember a time where, like, uh, all the techies were, like, playing cards or, like, doing some random thing. And I think we were playing cards with, like, somebody's deck of cards that they had brought specifically. Mm -hmm. And I think we were playing with them in a dirty workspace and we kind of ruined the deck of cards. Oh, no. Yeah. And it, like, had just happened. And then, like, we were out back of the theater and a car pulled up that uh, this kid, he was another one of the techies, and the kid and, like, some of the, like, camp counselor adults, like, arrived, and all the other techies just scattered to the winds, like, literally sprinted away, and left me there with this kid's ruined deck of cards, and I just, I gathered up the cards, and I went to him, and I was like, hey, we played with your cards, and we ruined them, and I'm really sorry, and he just looked at me, and he was sad, and he was like, that's all right. And he took them back and I felt bad for him. And I was like, I feel bad that we borrowed these without asking. I feel bad that everybody ran, you know, but like it was because of this episode and probably because of just growing up and being a Christian and being instilled with these morals that I did not run away. But it just, it reminded me so strongly of this Odyssey episode. And so like, in my mind, that's what this episode is about. Mm -hmm. So when we re-listened to it for the first time a few years ago, I was like, oh, that's not what this episode is about. (laughs) But in another way, it is what this episode is about. It is if that's what the Holy Spirit teaches you from it. It is one of the things that happens in the episode. Mm-hmm. It's a contrast that they draw. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a huge contrast that they draw. So similar to the ear piercing, this one is, I think, more intentional and more yeah. valuable by far. But that, yep, that's, this has been story time with Tatiana, <laughs> Tatiana's life stories. That's all I've got. That's all I've got on the episode. Do you have uh, more? More? <laughs> no. No more thoughts. If you have ever ruined kids playing cards and been sad about it, <laughs> if you have, uh, you're you're much better at coming up with these off the wall questions for people <laughs> to email us about. Um, if you have ever been caught and told to run for it, please email us this story, or or if you were the one yelling for people to run. And you're a criminal. You can also email us that story. Send those emails to podadventuresinodyssey at gmail.com. Or you can post them on Reddit, where I think, as we have said before, Reddit is public. So if you confess to a crime on there, you will be caught by the mall detective. 
They will find you. They read. They read our Reddit. Oh, they read our Reddit. You know that the mall detective is subscribed <laughs> to our Reddit. <laughs> that Reddit is r slash podventures and odyssey. Those are the two ways and the only two ways that you can get in contact with us. I mean, if you want, you can knock on a random door and then we will just open the door and say hello. Are you implying that we will just be behind any random door? No, I'm implying that random doors will open up to our door. Whoa. <laughs> that would be a drag. We get a lot of miscellaneous package deliveries that are not for us. Okay, now that is true. So maybe there's some truth to that statement, but that is like the least recommended way to contact us. It only works about like 30% of the time, so. Mm-hmm. T take everything that Emily is saying right now with a grain of salt, okay? <laughs> also, please be sure to send us that uh, that um, that fan art of the macho headbanger private eye. That is the thing that I would most love to see. It's the most important thing you can send yeah, us. Yeah, that is truly the most important thing that you can send us. Um, mm, all right, I have no further transitions, so thank you all for joining us on today's Podventure and Odyssey. Wait next episode next episode what is the next I always episode? forget next time we will be covering the episode choices and we hope you join us for that and as always thank you for joining us on today's podventure and odyssey remember use the chair of justice that's not what <laughs> no you don't like my macho headbanger private eye catchphrase Remember to use the chair of justice. All right, Our well-known right. catchphrase. Maybe not. Catch you later, cat's paws. Bye. That's why they call me. Tatiana, want to go to the mall? Only if we can steal things. You want to steal? Yeah, I'm a bad person. <laughs> Sorry. I can't take that again. I just... This is what you get when you try to improvise cold. <laughs> right. Katie came out the gate swinging. Woke up and chose violence, as the kids say.